Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. How much does luck play in success? We have a special treat on today's episode of Talking Trading. If you could listen to two business moguls in their chosen fields talking about the role that luck and opportunity play in success, would you be interested in what they have to say? Today's guests are share trading expert and best-selling author Louise Bedford talking to property expert Michael Yardney. Just how much does luck play in success? They talk it over. Success. So often we think that it's a reward deserved by those who are the most talented. They work the hardest. They have the most focus. Well, could it be possible that this is only half the story? Recent studies such as those by Robert Frank, Michael Mahusen, Nassim Taleb have all suggested that luck and opportunity may play a far greater role than we ever realised. I'm Louise Bedford, best-selling author of four books on the share market and founder of tradinggame.com.au. During a recent lunch with my friend, Michael Yardney, we got into a heated discussion about this very topic. Michael's a best-selling author and one of Australia's leading experts in the psychology of success and wealth creation through property, and he is also the CEO of metropole.com.au. We thought you'd like to hear some of our thoughts about this as it directly affects you as a trader and a property investor. So, Michael, in your opinion, how much does luck play in success? Is it just about preparation, meeting opportunity, or do you believe people create their own opportunities? Hi, Louise. Look, I know that those who are unsuccessful in life believe that the rich, the successful, they got lucky. It makes these other people feel better to think it was an outside factor that made those others successful rather than something that the successful people did themselves, you know, how they thought, how they behaved. But interestingly, having mentored uh, over a thousand, uh, actually 2,000 people in the last decade, I found that successful people also believed that they were lucky. However, they believed they created their own luck. They were the pilots of their life. They're not not just the passenger. They believed they created their own destiny. Louise, another thing I found is that you also need the right mindset to be lucky. Luck finds positive people. People who seek opportunities. I found, Louise, that luck favours the persistent. Mm, I see what you mean. And it's almost like a some sort of momentum kicks in. We tend to give out resources to those who've had a past history of success, but ignore those who have been unsuccessful, assuming that the most successful are also the most competent. So once you've got one win, others are likely to come more easily and you're suddenly skipping up a paved road instead of staggering down a dirt track. 
I think a lot of people have difficulty seeing opportunities, Michael. Why do you think that is? I deal with property investors in particular and business people and what I find holds many of those back from success is the fact that gaining the skills to be successful takes time and actually comes with experience. I've often said as a property investor you've really got to invest through a number of property cycles to be successful and I bet it's the same with traders you've got to see a number of economic cycles. So in short when you want to become an expert, opportunity is going to present itself because you're going to know what, what to look for when you've become that expert. You're going to be ready to pounce. If, however, you're not prepared when an opportunity comes your way, then the opportunity passes you by. So to answer your question, really, you've got to be the right person at the right place and take the opportunity, Louise. You know, though, it's interesting because I've been, since our conversation, I've been researching and there's a guy, Scott Barry Kaufman, is in one of my favourite magazines, Scientific American. I love that publication. Scientific American? I didn't know I that was that. your sort of thing. Oh, my God. It so is. And Scott Barry Kaufman says, and here are some stats, and I think it's really fascinating. It does somewhat lend itself to you thinking that luck does have a significant impact. Around half of the differences in income of people across the world are explained by their country of residence and the income distribution within that country. That makes sense. The other thing he said, here we go, here's some ones that don't make sense. The chance of becoming a CEO is influenced by your name and the month of your birth. Now that doesn't really, it's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? That's not what you'd expect. It's a winner, isn't it? Well, if you go back to the author of Bounce, it's a book I read a little while ago. It goes through baseball teams and apparently the majority, like 99% of good baseball players measured by the stats, you know, they keep very yeah. careful stats in that, in that game. And they were born between April and June because they are the bigger kids in a younger year, the way that they cut the baseball years. So I don't know why the CEO would be influenced by that, though, because it's not a sport-driven aspect there. Also, the number of CEOs born in June and July is much smaller than the number of CEOs born in other months. You'd think wow. it would be equally distributed. Yeah. Weirder still, those with last names earlier in the alphabet, such as Bedford, are more likely to receive tenure at top university departments, Michael Yardney. Well, that explains why I've always been alphabetically discriminated against. <laughs> hey, Michael, what's your middle name? Morris. Michael Morris, Morris Yardney. So you're Michael M. Yardney, that's fantastic because the display of middle initials increases positive evaluations of people's intellectual capacities and achievements. Isn't that right, Michael M. Yardney? Yes, but I don't show it anywhere, so I wonder what that oh, means. Oh, maybe you should Not from now on. Not even on my passport. <laughs> people with easy-to-pronounce names are judged more positively than those with difficult-to-pronounce names. And in Australia, there's actually been a study to back this up. It shows that if you have those random, you know how sometimes there's a J in the spelling of Michelle or there's Hamish with a, a mystery Z in it, mm -hmm. those, those types of spellings actually disadvantage the child. So careful how you spell your kid's name. And the other one that I'm going to take umbrage at right now is that females with masculine-sounding names are more successful in legal careers, which is quite interesting, and they have backed that up in the scientific field as well. So all of those aspects seem 
out of our individual control, don't you think? I mean, still, where we are is where we are. I mean, what your name is is what your name is. But I do think we have to get good at seeing opportunities as they present themselves to us. There's another study that I looked up. It's involving Italian physicists. Now, I'm going to go well with these names again. Alessandro Bluccino, Andrea Raspistaro, and Alessio Biondo. I'm rolling with it. I, I have no Italian background. They had the first ever attempt to quantify the role of luck and talent in successful careers. They simulated a 40-year evolution of a career, and their findings were fascinating. It seemed that even though when talent was normally distributed, success was not. Talent was not sufficient because even the most talented individuals were rarely the most successful. For example, you know, you've all seen people who've had an amazing talent, but when there's a fury of misfortune, they can't rise above. So luck does play a part. In that study, a small number of individuals from the study held the majority of the success. And this replicates wealth distribution in real life. Eight people in the world own the same wealth as the poorest half of the world. So that's really fascinating. Clearly, we do have to get better at seeing opportunities. Michael, what do you think people can do to see more opportunities as they come about? Well, Louise, quite clearly there is an element of luck and it is the precursor to success. You've just said that yourself and you're not going to change that. But in order for luck to occur, I think you must also relentlessly develop your own skills, your own abilities. I guess that means you've really got to invest your time and energy in yourself. That's what you can do best in your personal development, perfecting your skills, perfecting your knowledge. When I learned about the concept of personal development, uh, the fact that I can't change the world, I can't change what's going on. My early mentor in those days, Jim Rohn, taught me um, that uh, for it to become better, you, I have to become better, work harder on myself than I do on my job. All those things changed the way I look at the world, how I see opportunities, and it helped uh, me grow. So I guess the concept I'm mentioning is personal development. Become an expert in something. It could be as a property investor. It could be as a share trader. It could be as a business person, as a professional if you're in a profession. As a property investor, you've got to understand more than just property. You've got to understand the macroeconomic factors, what the property markets are doing, local factors, regional factors. Uh, get as good a handle as you can on all those sort of things. So, yes, for luck to occur, for you to be able to see opportunities, you've got to be a different person, Louise. Look, as a trader, you've got to look after your trading system, of course, which is your entry and your exit and position sizing. But a lot of it comes down to psychological factors. It's conquering that uncomfortable prickly feeling that you get when it's time to write your trading plan. It's when you feel like taking a profit, but your trading plan says don't exit until your stop is hit. It's how much grit do you have? So, Michael, what do you think would be the five most important keys to achieving success when you're starting something new, particularly if you have limited resources or experience or networks or credibility? Five important keys. Okay, well, look, let's start with setting long-term goals. Successful investors plan to become the people they plan to become. So they have a goal, they know where they're heading, uh, and that brings their future into the present so they can do something about it now rather than hoping it's going to turn out right. Look, Louise, last week I remember 
one of uh, our IT guys here said to me, Michael, I've actually just sold an underperforming property. I've got some money. I, I, I'll come to you later in the year to talk about investing. And I said, mate, why later in the year? And he said, oh, look, my wife's thinking about investing in a holiday home. I said, that's not an investment. So I asked him, where do you want to be? You're 45 now, where do you want to be at 60? And when he set the goals, he then saw that what his wife's aim was, was going to take them off track to get where they were. But having said that, he hadn't set the goals, much like with investors setting trading plans or or financial goals. If you don't start with a plan, any road can get you there, but any road can get you lost. So long-winded version of Step one, Louise, set goals. Number and two, actually, with, with that, Michael, I just want to say that yesterday, I know you caught up with my husband. My husband is the property person in our partnership. You know, I look after the trading side and, and Chris Bedford looks after the property side. I loved that you were able to talk with him about those long-term goals and, and what we were aiming for. And I know that's something you talk a lot about on your podcast. Maybe you could just, I know this is going out to your podcast people as well as the people on my my podcast, which is talkingtrading.com.au. Maybe you could just mention your podcast well, title. Well, really easy. I was uh, uh, short of name, so it came up with the Michael Yardney podcast. And uh, I'm very excited that uh, it's only been going just over six months and almost up to 200,000 downloads. It regularly ranks in the top business uh, podcasts on iTunes in Australia. So I'm developing quite a following. And an element of it's about property. But a lot of it's about success and money and personal finance because I guess they're all related, Louise. So getting back to our five most important keys that you asked me about, number one, set long-term goals. Number two, study. Continuously learn and study is what we went back to a minute ago about personal development. Become an expert in your field. Number three, build a team of consultants, people, people around you, mentors also. You and I know the importance of mentors. We personally have our own mentors and we, we mentor people as well. Recognising that investing in mentors, in people around you, is an investment. It's not an expense. Next, become an optimist. There's continual conveyor belt of fake news, bad news around. Relentless optimists are the ones who are persistent, who keep moving forward. Become decisive. Um, While successful people are not in a hurry to find good investment opportunities, once one arrives, then luck smiles on them. They find the opportunity. They take action. I guess it's much the same with your traders and trading plans also. Have a plan and then the emotion doesn't get involved, does it, Louise? Completely, completely. And then specialise rather than diversify. Uh, I I like the concept of becoming an expert in something by doing the same thing 100 times rather than 100 things once. And I think another big factor amongst successful people is that they admit their mistakes and they correct them. They're aware of their own failings. They're aware of their own limitations, their slip-ups. Boy, we all made mistakes. Don't blame others. Take responsibility for the results you've achieved, the good ones and the not-so-good ones, and then move forward based on that, Louise. Look, I think there's so much wisdom in that. I like how you over-delivered. I'm pretty sure that wasn't five, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I can't count. <laughs> there are three sorts that- of people, those who can count and those who can't. <laughs> I like that. Um, that Italian research team that I mentioned earlier that I'm not even going to try and pronounce again, one of the things that they looked at was the importance in giving people more chances for success. So a stimulating environment, rich in opportunities, a good education, intensive training, and efficient strategy for the distribution of funds and resources. 
at the deepest level, what do you think or what do you feel is the greatest driving force for people to have attained success? Louise, success favours the persistent. All successful investors, business people, entrepreneurs, they've failed. In fact, they've failed more often than unsuccessful people. I guess they become successful at failing, but they've survived until they've become lucky, until luck's mulled them, until they've thrived. So what this shows to me is that success is a process, and a big part of that process is persistence. You never get lucky if you quit. You get lucky when you persist. So in my mind, luck is the reward for persistence. The fact is, those who try the hardest are the luckiest. Or more accurately, they just simply, they don't stop trying till they succeed. So their persistence eventually creates that luck that we've been talking about. Bottom line, never quit on your dreams because luck doesn't visit quitters. I know what you're saying, Michael, but I have to say, I know it's important to be optimistic and traders as well. We have to be decisive as well as property investors. But Michael, I've got to tell you, a bit of my success, I'm sure, is by things that are not as positive as all of that. Like I am motivated as heck by anger. I find it to be just so stimulating. I find it's important that I prove myself to people who've doubted me and even, frankly, fear. Fear is so important. That fear of change can be really motivating and it can direct you. What would you say to people who are facing change but eager to see the opportunity that change can represent? So you're right. Fear, anger, emotions drive us. But you can either use the fear not to move forward, Louise, or the fear to take advantage of the opportunities, find the luck and move forward. So your fear of uh, not performing well enough in people's eyes has actually not stopped you from moving ahead. It's actually forced you to move ahead. I think what stops a lot of people, as you say, is change. Um, and it's human nature to try and avoid change. It's one of our basic protection instincts. See, we've got to make thousands of decisions every day. Do I cross the road now or don't I? Do I wait until the truck passes? Should I eat fries or should I have salad for lunch? Should I tip the waitress? And we usually make these decisions almost with no thought, using what psychologists call heuretics. Now, I should, you know all that. You've got a psychological degree. These are sort of rules of thumbs that enable us to navigate our lives. But of course, without these mental shortcuts, we'd be paralysed with all these multitude of daily choices we've got to make. But in certain circumstances, these shortcuts lead to predictable errors. Predictable, that is, if you know what to watch out for. For example, um, do you know that we tend to be biased towards selling investments that are doing well for us, but holding on to those that are doing poorly? So mm. there's a whole study of behavioural finance, and I know you're very much into that, and so is Chris Tate, and it's the study of the di dozens and dozens of financial decision-making errors that we could avoid if we're familiar with the biases that cause them. So that's probably a topic of a whole other podcast we should do, Louise, about these behavioural biases. But that's what stops us making the change or wanting the change. Um, one study after another come to the conclusion that investors often make decisions that are clearly unlikely to help them make more money or keep the wealth that they've already got. And, but as, as counterintuitive as all this seems, there's actually evidence to support that we keep sabotaging ourselves, Louise. Mm, it's so true. Actually, everything you're saying about those little decisions, there's a book that I've read recently called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Oh, my God, I love that book. Have you have you read that no, book yet, no. Michael? 
Oh, you'd love it. It is all about those tiny little compounding decisions and it has such an impact as time goes on. You know, currently my niece is going through a bit of a situation where her father has died, he's left her a lot of money and what this has done for her, you would think you know, with the grief and everything that should be immobilised, it's almost like she can't wait to get rid of that money. It is the weirdest thing to watch. And I think sometimes when we're talking with young people, we have to be careful, don't we, about the things that we present to them, things that can be palatable in bite-sized small chunks. Michael, if you were speaking to a group of young people, what would be the top things that you'd want to talk to them about? Louise, what I'd be telling them is uh, some of the things we've already discussed, like fear is normal. Uh, Fear is something that will crop up when we're looking at new opportunities and change. Uh, But feel the fear and go for it anyway. I'd explain to them that everyone's afraid. It's normal with all the the changes that are happening to us. uh, People get afraid of rejection, afraid of failure. But as we've said, luck favours the persistent. So the first lesson I'd give these young people is fear is normal use it to your advantage as you said you have already Louise. The next important concept for young people, actually for older people as well Louise, is that concept of delayed gratification. The fact that you've actually got to uh, spend less now, save it, invest for the future Um, because if you don't you're not going to have the money in the future to look after yourself but it's so easy in today's community with uh, uh, smartphones you don't even have to pull out a credit card anymore or the one click online to actually pay things straight away, learn to delay gratification in spending, but also in your education. Spend time in your education now rather than leaving the college system early in the piece and work on yourself. I think the other important lesson I'd like to teach young people is that gratitude's the best drug on the planet. At the moment, they're probably looking at a number of other ways of making themselves feel good, but Gratitude's free and it actually doesn't have any side effects. Um, I think the concept that uh, we live in the best time in history, in the best country in the world, uh, it's actually, you've got to be thankful. We've seen so many people over the years, Louise, you and I, who have got lots of money, large share portfolio, successful businesses, but they're miserable. So if you're not appreciative of what you've got, all the money, all the properties, the biggest share portfolio is not going to change your life, Louise. Mm, yeah, it's it's a lot to be said for that. You know, with everything we've been talking about, whether success is absolutely the opportunities that come in front of us or is it luck? So I think there's so much in this topic. I think it's a combination of opportunity and preparedness. And sure, it can be luck that determines the opportunities that we're presented with. But unless we're prepared at a very deep level, we won't recognise those opportunities. Would you agree with that, Michael? Definitely. So a big difference between successful people and the average Australian is their headspace, their mindset, how they think, because they're not going to, we're living in the same environment with the same tax system, the same legal system, the same governments, the same opportunities available to all of us. How we take advantage of those, how we see them, whether we see them as opportunities or stumbling blocks really has to do with our headspace and our mindset. Uh, and That's again, going back to what we said before, work on yourself, improve yourself, uh, work on how you see opportunities and become an expert at something, Louise. And I think another really big important factor that we haven't discussed today, but we have in the past is who you hang around. 
because yes. uh, that makes a big difference. You often, Louise, say that you're the product of the five people closest to you, and that's why we are both part of mastermind groups. You and I are part of our own mastermind group as well in certain areas. We actually act as our own unreasonable friends. It's really important to get around the right people, and that's getting harder and harder, isn't it? It certainly is. And I know, Michael, frankly, if it hadn't have been for you, I would never have had the courage to get into the property market. I'm so comfortable with trading and I'm so comfortable with the money that I can earn out of the markets. For me, it was almost overcoming fear to take money away from my fastball. And one of the major reasons why you've helped me with this is because it's not just you, it's the people that you've introduced me to. And that's been very critical for me. I've been coming to your wealth retreat for so many years. I think this will be actually my seventh year that yeah. I'm coming along. So yeah, it's been quite a while. So I think for the people listening to this recording, one of the best ways that you can be prepared as an investor is to come to Michael Yardney's wealth retreat. This year is on from June 9th to the 13th and I'll be there as well you need to read more so that you'll be prepared when those precious opportunities come along and this is an opportunity for you so go to wealthretreat.com.au slash trading I'll just give you that that website again it's wealthretreat.com.au slash trading you'll be able to read more about wealth retreat there and really i urge you to get involved whether you're a beginner investor or whether you're much more advanced you'll be rubbing shoulders with an elite group of people who are all linking arms facing the same direction with just a complete immersion into success principles and specific strategies thank you so much for your time michael i've loved having you on the show as always it's a lot of fun having a chat louise and stay tuned next week, guys, for a talking trading classic with charting legend Peter Brandt. I'm Caroline Stephen. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.